Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. God. Do you love the Word of God? I have found in the Word every problem and circumstance and situation that I face, the instruction on how to overcome the problem, the instruction on how to get out of the circumstance. I'll tell you what, it, the transformation that living in the Word of God will do for you is life-changing. It's, it's life-altering. And the Word of God is a powerful I guess you might call it a resource, a, a powerful opportunity for us to change our, our Rams like this, change our family tree. Not just to change your own life, but to change the lives of those who are after you and those who come after you and those who come out from your seed and from your lineage. And the Word of God gives you that opportunity. I, I don't want to leave, you know, this world, uh, uh, um, you know, whenever I, I leave some 48 years from now, but I don't want to leave this world um, you know, with uh, I, I want to leave with everything on the plate uh, still being done and still working, have dreams and visions and things to do, because I don't think we ever uh, fully comprehend the things that God can do in our lives. I mean, and there's all kind of things that He gives us in the Bible, all kind of uh, instruction He gives us there, and it can come to pass in our life. And every one of us should be. Jerry Savelle talked about it many years ago. Everybody should be on a faith endeavor. If you're not living your life reaching out for something more than what you are. You're, you're not living on a faith endeavor. You're just living on a now reality. And I want something more than a now reality. I want to be stretching my faith, stretching my believing, stretching my understanding of God, and just going out there where I haven't gone before. Maybe you have, maybe others have, but there's places in my life I haven't gone before, and I want to go there. I'm going to do it by faith at the instruction of God's Word. How many brought your Bible with you today? Let's make our confession today as we go before the Lord. Everybody say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, the incorruptible, the ever-living seed, the Word of God... And I'll never be the same, never, 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 in Jesus' name, somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord God, we give you praise and we give you glory. Let me key in to where I'm supposed to be at here today. Turn with me in the scripture to the book of Genesis. Last week, I started talking to you about what I call the big picture. Not everything about the gospel or not everything about the plan of God. But uh, the big picture, so that you can stand back and look and just see what God is doing. Well, I, I talked last week about God's creation and how that God had created man and put them in the beautiful Garden of Eden. In, in fact, if you'll turn there, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, we'll read it together because I want you to see it. And open your Bible and follow along and with me in here. Make sure you know what's happening, what's going on. Keep me honest. Keep me real today. Stay right in the Word of God and, and you'll see it as well. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8, remember the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there in the garden he put the man whom he had formed. When God created mankind, he did not put them uh, at Sanford and Son's salvage yard. He didn't put them uh, in a junkyard. He didn't put them in a place that was terrible to look at. He didn't put them in a place that didn't have all the resources that they need. He didn't put them in a place that was running out of water. There's four rivers. We haven't read all about it, but there's four rivers that are connecting right at this place where God has placed them, where the Garden of Eden was located, we believe. And, and so he puts them in a place of, of luxurious abundance there a place of tremendous wealth. He puts them in a place that is well watered and well cared for, and the blessing of the Lord is just all over that place. And when he creates that place, he 
creates it for man and puts man in that place. Think about it. The original intent for that God has for you and I is for us to be happy, for us to be healthy, for us to enjoy our life, for us to be a blessing to the kingdom of God, for us to be in one relationship with him, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and body, for us just to have a great time in this life that, that you and I live, are living in. I pray that many times in my prayers every day when I pray. I'll say, thank you, Lord God, for the life that you've given me and the life that I'm now living the blessing of the Lord that you have now given me, I thank you for it. Well, he, he did that for Adam and Eve, placed in this beautiful garden. Now, notice in Genesis chapter 1, back up there, just one page if you're close by. Genesis 1 verse 28, he blessed them. Everybody say, I am blessed. Say it again, say, I am blessed. I am blessed. And he blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful. What are you supposed to do on earth? You're supposed to be fruitful and you're supposed to multiply. That's something more than what you are. And replenish, that's repopulate this earth, he's saying to them. Replenish the earth and subdue it. Take authority over this place. He brings it out when he says, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. In other words, there's nobody greater than Adam on the earth. Now, of course, we understand we're in the lordship of Lord God Almighty, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, or, of course, greater than mankind. They are the creator. They would, by necessity, be greater. But there ain't anything else. Nothing else is greater on planet Earth. Not anything else there. They are to have dominion over every single thing. Take authority, take charge, take control. You, you, you just run this place. It's, it's yours. It's yours. I heard somebody talk about it years ago as if a person was building a business. It would be called so-and-so and son. Well, think about it. God and son. God the Father and his son, Adam, as the Scripture tells us in the book of Matthew. When he gives the genealogy of Adam, it calls him the son of God. God has put him there in this beautiful place that he has made. He says, verse 29, behold, I've given you everything. Every herb, and you read it down. But basically, I've given you everything on planet Earth. It's yours. It's yours. And so if you're looking at planet Earth and you see something that's, uh, that's nice, that's wonderful, that's a blessing, that's good, uh, that's, you know, uh, things that on this Earth that uh, can, can really bring uh, favor into your life and blessing in your life, so, well, that's mine. That's mine. What you ought to be saying, that, that's mine. We always look at it as someone else. No, that's mine. Believe that you can have something that's great, something that's blessed, something that's good, something that's special. And the mentality we've had for, for many, many years, you know, has been in people's lives that, you know, if, if a person is wealthy or if a person is rich, they, they must be evil and, and they must have got it by thievery and they get, must have got it in a, in a wicked way. And, and wow, because they have all of that money and all that resources, uh, they must really be sad, and they must really be, you know, just having a miserable life because of all that wealth they've got. You know, that's sort of the, the mentality that might be around this place that, that you and I live in and around this place. Some people have that kind of thinking. I told you the story many years ago, A.J. and I were in our family when he was just a small boy, and we were riding down the road, and we were riding down the road on the interstate. Right beside of us came this big, white, long limousine. I mean, it was a long one. I don't know how long that thing was, but it was very, very long. And I said, wow. I said, A.J., look at that. Look at that. Isn't that something? He turned around and said, I bet they're miserable, aren't they, Daddy? No. No, they didn't look too miserable to me riding down the road in that. They really didn't. But that's the thinking sometimes we get. And, our, and we'll let the world project things onto us. And, and this last week, the world tried to project on South Carolina that uh, from, I think it was the, the uh, Newsweek magazine that did the study, and, and they decreed and they found out, according to their study, that the ugliest little town in all of the world, all of South Carolina, you know what the ugliest town is in South Carolina, they said, and in the United States, the ugliest one in America, they said it's Watts Mill, the place I was born and raised in. Well, you know, something beautiful can come out of an ugly place, I guess, but anyway. No, no, that's what they're thinking. That's what they're thinking. You know why they got to say that? Because they live in New York. That's a slime pit in the hellhole of America is what that is. Another one you can clock in there is Washington, D.C., the same thing. That's a filthy place in Washington, D.C. I've been there. I hate that place. I wouldn't go back there if you paid me money to do it. I'm not going back to Washington, D.C. wouldn't do that. I've been to Hollywood, California, another slime pit. It's full of wickedness and even been to Los Angeles, a terrible place to live. I wouldn't think about living at any of those places like that. I live in Watts Mill for I live in those three places. But anyway, anyway, and I don't live far from there now, but anyway, I do. So, you know, the world will try to put all these things on you, but go back to your original created purpose. 
Look at Adam and Eve. If God wanted for Adam and Eve, the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 34, believe it is. It says also in, in the book of um, Acts chapter 2, I believe it's 38, and it's right there. And, and so two different places, God's not a respecter of persons. And this is original intent of God is for you to live in a world where there's enough and your needs are supplied and you're blessed and you're happy and good and the wealth and the riches and the blessings of God are all around you. That's, that's what he did. You can't deny that that's what he wanted for Adam and Eve because he made it, built it, created it, and put them in it. So you sort of get the idea that's where he wanted them to live, and that's what he wanted them to have. All right. And then we also saw this in Genesis 2, verse 9. We saw out of the ground God made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to sight, good for food, and tree life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. There are all kind of trees there, all kind of vegetation and fruit and things that are there that will provide for them materially and physically in this garden. And, and he takes notice of two trees that are there. One is called the tree of life, and the other is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Two different trees that are there. God has a prohibition against one of these trees. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. What is, not the tree of knowledge, good and evil, but what is one of those trees we just mentioned that they may freely eat? What is it? It's the tree of life. They hadn't ate of it yet. They're going to die until they do. But they're going to get to eat of it if they remain faithful to God. Now, because they can freely eat it if they want to. But this tree of knowledge of good and evil, God has prohibition against it. He says this, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. You will not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you're going to surely die. Something's going to happen to you if you eat of this tree. Something's going on. A choice God has given Adam and Eve. And you know what it is? When you have a choice, you have what we can think of as value or you have dignity about yourself in other words if I lay out before you if you are a worker somewhere maybe at a business enterprise or something I'm an owner operator run and I hired you to come in and I said to you okay here's what you do uh, if you might have been at the job that, that I was at many years ago when I got out of high school and uh, went out and stopped playing music and started uh, in the work. And, in fact, I lost about 30% of my income when I did that. But anyway, I stopped playing music and I went into uh, working every single day. And the first time when I walked into that manufacturing plant, they told me, here's what you do. You stand right here behind this line. And what's going to happen is these boxes are going to come off that conveyor. And when they do, you're going to take them, you're going to stack them, and you're going to put them over here. I had no choice. I was a box stacker. I did what they said do with the boxes. I got to the place that I would, you know, when I first started, the guy running the machine, he would run them real fast, and I would be covered up in boxes on about the first half of that day, just covered up in boxes, couldn't keep up. I, I felt so humiliated, and that guy running that machine just looked at me smiling and laughing the whole day. Well, about the, the rest of that day, somewhere about three-fourths into that day, I was getting faster and faster and faster. And the faster I got in those days, then I began waiting for him to bring boxes down, and I stood there like this and also gave him some signs of, that I was waiting. Remember, I wasn't saved in those days. And I gave him a sign that I was waiting for boxes to come down. And it got, got better. I, I felt better. When they saw that I was a worker, they took me out of that department, put me in another department, and, and put me in charge of a warehouse there. I went there for, in a week's time. I went from there to being in charge of a warehouse. And they said, all right, this is the job. Now you decide how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, how you're going to make it happen, what you're going to do about the incoming inventory that comes in and inventory going out. You decide. All, that, that's up to you. We just want this done. And, and, and I felt a little a bit of dignity about myself I felt I am somebody until three three years later when they fired me for trying to start a union but anyway at that time that time I felt like I am I felt some dignity when you get a choice you have value about you God has created Adam and Eve like unto himself and he's given them a choice he has given them dignity the state or quality of being worthy of honor or respect. What did that choice? Somebody said, he just shouldn't have put the tree there at all. No, he gave them a choice. They could decide for themselves 
God's created this free moral agency, this free moral being who has in his heart, in his mind, he has the capacity to create thought. He has the power to think and to reason. He has all of this. And and I'm going to give him a task and I'm going to give him a word here. And he may do with this word whatever he wants. And he starts to say, well, I am somebody. Well, he is. He's Adam. He is the son of God as God has called him. He's the first created man on all of this earth. God said you have the right to choose. Everybody say, I have the right to choose. I got the right to choose. It's probably the most powerful thing you have in your life is that beginning state of choosing. Now, they can choose to obey. They can choose to disobey. And God has given them his choice so that they can be like him. God doesn't have to ask anybody else, can I do this? Or God didn't ask me when he created the world. God don't ask me about a, a whole lot of the things that he does in life. Some things he'll want to tell you because the prophet said, the minor prophet said in the Old Testament that, uh, you know, God doesn't do anything unless he tells it to his prophet first. Uh, the Bible says concerning Abraham that when he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, well, I can't do this first till I go tell Abraham about it. And so God will clue us in on the things he's doing, and he'll let us know what's going on out there. But uh, God don't need to ask you. He's, he's all-powerful. He's almighty. He's the great God El Shaddai. I mean, he's a mighty God. And God has given mankind. He's made you in his likeness. That's why he gave you that choice. You've got rights. You've got dignity. You've got value about yourself. Now, their choice that they have is going to represent whether they believe and trust God or whether they don't. That's what their choice is going to show. It's going to show whether they believe and trust God or whether they do not trust Him. Trust and faith is manifested with our choices. Somebody says, I love God. Uh, somebody says, I love God. Somebody says, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I just thank you for everything about me. I, I just love God. Well, well, Jesus said it like this in the book of John chapter 14. He said this. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if you're not keeping God's commandments, you don't love him. So you've got a choice whether to show your love for him or not show your love for him. How you can do that? By keeping his commandments, Jesus said. That's what Jesus said anyway. And so, and so we have choices in this life, and, and our choices will manifest our faith. If I say I'm believing and I'm trusting God to supply my need financially in life, if that's what I'm saying, I'm believing and trusting, and you have to do that now, you need to be exercising your faith during this economic season of the world. I mean, this economic season of America. You need to be exercising your faith in your financial decisions of life because it is a very difficult and challenging season financially to be in out here. It is a very problematic time, and you need to be exercising your faith. But if you say, well, I'm trusting God to supply all of my need. I'm trusting God to bless me financially. I'm trusting God for this, trusting God for that. But you walk away, and you're worried all the time, and you're fretting all the time, and you're upset. You're half mad at everybody else and this thing and that thing. And, and, and you know, you're biting off all your fingernails, and you don't know how you're going to do this, and your language begins to change, and your language says, woe is me, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it? And your language goes there, and then your actions do the same thing, and finally keep on doing that, and your body sort of starts responding to what you're saying, and you develop an ulcer in your stomach, and you get so worried and fretful, and those kind of things. And then you got poor health, and that's compounding the problem. A lot of things going on in your life. Well, you know, your choices will tell us whether you're walking in faith or whether you're walking in doubt and unbelief. Everybody say, my choices show who I am. Everybody say, say, my choices show who I am. Say it again. Say, my choices show who I am. The choice you make will show who you are. I went to a, a, a thing, a, a wedding at some, a couple of years ago, I guess it was now, and, and they came across and they said, uh, you know, they were giving out the drinks. Everybody's sitting at the little table with your name on it, and they thought that was a big deal. So everybody's sitting at the table with your name on it, and that's kind of stuff. And they come up, and they got these glasses, much like this goblet right there, and they come up, and, and, and they're pouring what looked like to me to, to be wine all the way around. And they got to me. I said, no, no thank you. I'm, I'm just drinking water. 
They said, oh, no, 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 you can, you can have this. I said, I know I can, but, but I, I, don't, I don't want to. I'll just drink water. And they said, well, you know, this is not really wine anyway. It's non-alcoholic is what they said. It's not even alcoholic. I said, that's fine. I'll just drink water. And that was my choice. They had like it was, they get up and throw me out just about. That lady all got mad at me. But the Bible says, and what is it, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, abstain from every appearance of evil. And if it looks like wine, and if everybody else, what they drink is wine, I'm going to abstain from the appearance so somebody doesn't think there's a pastor and he's over there drinking that too. But, but not just because I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm doing that because that's my conscience. I just don't drink. Never have, never will. I don't drink. I just don't drink. But that choice showed something about my values showed something about what I believe in. And so a choice will reveal who you are. Now, look at Genesis 1, verse 26. Look what God has trusted them with. Oh, God has done so much for mankind. How can we fail? In John 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. Our image, our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Notice, God trusted mankind basically with himself. Can you imagine that? God trusting you with himself. Listen, God trusted them with his nature when he said, I'm going to make you in my likeness. I'm going to make you like me. That's what he said. And the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that God had given us his divine nature. We had become partakers of his divine nature. And in seminary, they told us, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have the nature of God. You never will have the nature of God is what they would say. And I would say, well, you know, I hear y'all saying that. And they said, and they'll read me about what Karl Barth said or somebody else or different kind of a great German theologians or that kind of thing. And they'll read all that and bring it up to me. And I'll say, well, you know, all those guys, just bless their hearts. You know, I, I'm glad they did what they did. Hopefully they said something a little bit smarter than what you just read to me one day. But anyway, the Bible says in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that God had give, made us to be partakers of his divine nature. And until we change that in the Bible I got, not the one you're rewriting, but the Bible I've got, I'm going to keep saying that God has given me his divine nature. And then I said to them, well, listen, if God, if you recognize this, that before I became saved, I was mean as a devil. Because you can hear people talk like that. They say, that person is just mean as the devil. Well, how come if you get mean as the devil, once God saves you, how come you can't be good like God? Can the devil do more to make you mean than God can do to make you good? God changes your nature. This ain't religion. This is a natural change on the inside. And the Bible says that he made them in his likeness, in his likeness, and they took on his nature. And also, he made them with his authority when he gave them dominion. Here, you decide what to do and what not to do. You've got dominion. You've got authority. And he also said this, just like I've created you, Adam and Eve, you can create people. And he gave them the power to procreate. That's how all of us got here today. Somebody say amen. There ain't no denying it. Another human being created us. How did they get that power? God gave it to them in the beginning. Why? So they could be like him. In other words, God made them, and what some have said, is a God class of being. No, I'm not God. You're not either not Jehovah God. We're in a God class of being. That's where we're at. I'm not in a giraffe class. Regardless of what people might say, I'm not in a monkey class. I'm not in a fish class. I'm not in a bird class. I'm in a God class. And you are. We are in God class of being. God's made us like unto himself. That's what he's done. Now, in Genesis 2, 7, notice this. God, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Notice this. God trusted Adam and Eve with his breath. You've got to understand that when God's breath is breathed into you, the a life comes into you that never, ever dies. It's going to be there for always, always. And we'll live someplace, heaven or hell, throughout all eternity, someplace. He breathed into them the breath of the life. He trusted them. Here's, here's my life. I mean, have you ever done something, said, well, this don't work? Maybe you went on vacation and you went and you stayed somewhere and, and if it didn't work for you, uh, you said, well, we'll just leave that place and we'll go to another place. Well, you had a decision. But imagine what if you, somebody said to you, listen, you're going to go to this place and you'll go to this place for the rest of your life and never change again. Well, you better know something about that place, hadn't you? You better trust the people who booked you at that place. 
you better have a lot of faith in that that place is going to be maintained for the rest. I mean, you got to just imagine God trusting this shale, this earth suit that he has formed in fast with his breath and his life. It'll never die. And that's what he did with Adam and Eve. He breathed into them the breath of life and his life, his living soul. And he also trusted them with his word that he's given them. He, he didn't say, you can't eat of that tree of knowledge, good and evil. And the next day they walk up to it and they find a concrete fence around it that's 20 feet high that they can't get over. No, the tree's there just like any other. He just trusted them with his word, don't do it. He let him down, didn't he? But he trusted them with his word. And in fact, he trusted them with all the creation. Everything I made is yours. You can have it. I've made it. I created it. It is yours. It's yours. You can have it. It is yours. Now, you know, we have our, our, our grandbaby, which we love it all hard, and basically uh, all we ever will have and do and be in life may be passed on that way for sure. And, and, and so, but at the same time, there are certain things uh, at our home that we, we don't trust her with because she's a little child. She's a little baby. She'll come into Sheila's uh, uh, bedroom, and Sheila's probably got, I don't know, twenty five or 30,000 uh, stuffed animals in there, whatever the case might be that I've bought over the years. And uh, some of them uh, she will let uh, Naomi play with. Others, uh, she'll do this, and, and I'll say to her, well, what you going to do with Naomi? She says she wants to take one of those home that you got in, in 19 and, you know, 84 at the fair. It's got your name on the back of it and mine together engraved on there. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do when she asks you to take She said, I'm going to tell her that she can play with it while she's here when grandma's going to always have it for her when she comes here in other words she's not going to trust her with it right yet is she not right yet but look what god did he made everything he said adam and eve is yours have dominion over it go ahead go ahead yours have dominion over it my my what they had now the big test comes the big test comes look at genesis chapter 3 Adam and Eve are to be tested and judged. How will they be judged? By their decision to obey one single law of God. Not all of them, just one. In fact, there is no all of them. There is only the one. There's no churches in that day. There's no Bible in that day. There's no Bible studies in that day. There's only Adam and Eve, and they've only been given one thing. One commandment, if you will, and that's not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. It's the only thing you've got to do. Everything else, you're in charge and control everything. It's yours to do it. Have at it, but not this. Imagine that. The one thing they cannot do. The one thing they're going to be trusted in. In this test, it's going to be a test in, is God a liar or not? Does God have integrity or not? This test is going to reveal what they think about God's truthfulness. It's going to reveal that. It's going to show that. They're going to be judged by their obedience to the word of God one way or the other. They're going to be judged by only one rule. Look in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, hath God said, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let me show you something. There's a, there's a lot of revelation you get right here. But the test for you and I today, very similar to this. It begins with a questioning of God's word. It starts out not saying the word of God's not true. But have you really thought about this? Are you sure after all, and the big question that you have around uh, our area that we live in and around our world is, oh, God is a God of love. He loves everybody. He wouldn't send anyone to hell. Now, think about it. God's a God of love. You know he wouldn't send someone to hell. And then you start thinking and questioning, God is a God of love. Would he send somebody to hell? And then you start deteriorating. Your beliefs in one doctrine, then you go to another, and then another, and another, until finally you're so mixed up you don't know what you believe anymore. You have left the landmarks of your faith. You have left the foundation of the gospel. Don't have a clue. But it begins, not out there, 
But it begins with a question. It begins with a question. And the serpent, who's being used by the power of the devil in this temptation, knows that. And he's bringing them a question about God. Now, notice what happened in verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, next big problem, don't talk to the devil. What you going to learn from him? He's a washed up has-been, and anything he says, you know it's just the opposite of that. If the devil tells you to do something, do the opposite. He, the man is a liar. The devil is a lie. That's how the old-timers said it. They didn't say the devil is a liar. They didn't say that. The devil is a lie. Somebody say, the devil's a lie. The devil's a lie. He said, you ain't going to make it, but the devil's a lie. He said, you won't be healed, but the devil's a lie. You won't prosper. You won't be blessed. The devil is a lie. He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. He's the father of lies, the Bible said in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 44, that Jesus told us about. And, and from the very beginning, that's what he's always been. He's a liar. He's a liar. They had a song many years ago called Liar. He is a liar. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So far, so good. So far. And we just heard one sentence. We hadn't heard the exception yet. Now she's going to give it. Verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it. Well, if she's talking about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, yeah, that's true too. So she's, she's all right up to there. But now she does something very dangerous. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She's added... Neither shall you touch it. We don't hear God saying not to touch it. But she added, neither shall you touch it. It's the first man-made religion you see in the Bible right there. She just made a new religion. She's added to the word of Almighty God. And when you have what the word of God says something and states something and, and comes into your life and ministers unto you, and then you look at that and you say, well, wait a minute now. That don't take into account this. I got to add this to it. I got to add that to it. No, 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 no. Uh-uh, you, you need to add some things. You just don't know. I mean, in, in the scripture where the Bible says it, in, in Matthew, oh, where, where would it be? Long about Matthew 8 and verse 13. When he said to the centurion, he said to him, go your way as you have believed, so be it done unto you. Uh, well, I know he, he said that for him, but, you know, you, you just can't believe it be done unto you. And I flip the page, one page, and I see where he told the woman to your blood. Daughter, uh, be of good comfort. Uh, the, your faith has made you whole. Well, uh, what do you mean? your faith who are you anyway you think you got faith no. and it goes on over and in verse 29 he says again to these other two receiving their healings according to your faith be it unto you yeah but God knows my weakness and he knows my struggle and he don't have to require me to have faith and then what did you do you added to the word of God you saw it clearly it's undeniable in the mouth of two and I gave you three in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall everything be established the Bible says and yet we want to walk away and add things to the word of God well, you're on that same path that Eve is on. If you want to keep going, it's up to you. It's your choice. But it's also our choice not to. Look what that finally says in verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. There it is. Bam, the contradiction. The word of God's not so. What God told you about saying you would die, no, you will not surely die. Lying. Flat out lie. Flat out deception unto Eve. Now, now, notice how he gets into it, how he moves into the deception that he has uh, toward the woman. Notice what happens in, in, in verse 5. For God doth know. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, the jealous God that he is, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. God knows that when you do this, you'll be like him and he don't want nobody else being like him and they're already like him. They're not thinking. They've already been made like him. But the devil is, is, is contriving it around with human reasoning. Here's why. Here's why you won't surely die like God said that you will. Here's why. Because God knows that if you eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, you'll be like him. He don't want nobody being like him. You don't want him taking place. I wonder how the devil knew about somebody trying to take God's place. He knows a lot about that. He is par excellence. He knows about that. So he, he says that, and he speaks that to the woman, human reasoning with the word of God. 
Now, is, I found the word of God is very reasonable once you get your mind renewed. And the Bible does say in the book of Isaiah, come now and let us reason together. Let your sins be, you know, dark and be like scarlet. Uh, be washed in the blood of, of Christ Jesus. So, I, and he said, let us reason. I understand that if you have a sound mind that God has given you and you have a mind that's not been tempted, tested, and, and, and you know, turned over to the devil, uh, there's a lot of things in Scripture very reasonable, very understandable. I don't have a problem with, with any of them in reasoning and logic once you understand who God is. But on the other hand, human reasoning that's been taught, trained, and schooled by this world is very much at odds with God. And so you have to be very careful when you start reasoning in your own mind and your own human logic and reason. But the devil is appealing to that. Think about it, Eve. This is what God is. He don't want you to be like him. He's got something you don't have. He can do things you can't do. He is something you are not. He don't want you to be like him. That's the only reason. And some people say, well, I would never say that, Pastor. Yet some people think that. They think that God gives you commands not to do something or to do something just because he wants to keep you from having fun. He wants to keep you from enjoying your life. And God gave you some command to just, you know, to make you a, a miserable, religious, whatever you might would be. And God just takes pleasure in it. No, no, no. Anything God's ever told you not to do, it's always been for your very good. Anything God told you not to do, it's always because if you do it, it'll hurt you. Anything God told you not to do, it'll always bring damnation. And it'll always bring struggle and pain and sickness and sorrow and all, all the ills of this life your way if you get involved in it. If you do. You've got to understand that. God's not just up there saying, all right, now how can I make this Christian's life a little more miserable? He's not doing that. Anything he says not do, it's for your good not to do it. So, so he says that, the, the, the devil's speaking there. Now, notice verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she's looking now at the tree. She's not listening or remembering the word of God that God has spoken to her. Now she's looking at the tree. If you keep looking at the thing that God says you are not to have, and you keep looking at it, it won't be long till you're going to possess it. And you're going to violate the things of God. You'll violate the word of God. If you want to be a big sinner, start small. Don't worry, you'll get there. Okay? If you want to, want to just have, have a life that is completely uh, engulfed in the sins of this world, keep looking at the sins of this world. You will become what we call in our society, desensitized to it. It won't seem so bad after all once you've seen it enough. And some people out there today, they think everybody, our, our messed up, stupid government and the United States that we live in, thinks that everybody thinks it ought to be all right for, for men to say they're women, women to say they're men. But they're the idiots, you are not. Amen? I mean, you've got a good, sound, clean conscience. You, you can say that without a problem. And you say, why would you call the people idiots? Because they are. They are. What else would you call an idiot? It's an idiot. It's, an idiot. It's, it's crazy. It is ridiculous for, for, for men to call themselves women and then buy in to that and act like it, dress like it. They do everything but be it. They'll never be it. But they do everything else they can possibly do. And then they come to you and I and they expect us to agree with them. I'm not going to agree with their craziness. I'm not going to come down on the level of stupidity where they're at. No. No, they need to be confronted and confronted boldly. You are wrong. Your mind is contorted and twisted. And what you're believing is not sound. It is not right. And if all of us just shut up saying things like that, and we won't say them, then the world will take over on the other side. And it's fastly, fastly happening. The church of the living God in America needs some boldness and needs to stand up and say what is right and what is wrong. Amen? All of us need to confront this garbage. It is absolutely nuts. That's what's going on in our country, all this kind of stuff. And somebody says, it's all right for a drag queen to come to your school and teach your little toddlers. No, it's not either. No, it's not all right. It is not. And if some men of God would rise up in America 
and get some of those people that had done that and take them out behind the woodshed and take care of them. They probably wouldn't be doing that stuff no more. That's what they used to do years ago. They'd run you out of town. The pilgrims, the pilgrims that founded our country, a part of that, coming over for religious freedom in America, if you came into the county and you wasn't working and you didn't have gainful employment, they ran you out of the county. Said, so come back when you can contribute to our society. Right now, we're in this new world that we're in, and, and we're just, every one of us working day and night fighting to make this thing happen, and we don't need you to be here unless you're going to be doing the same. If you're not, get out. Same kind of stuff. Well, the devil, you know, contorts people's minds, deceives them, that kind of thing. That's what he's into. But he's not deceiving children of Almighty God. Somebody say amen. All right. Now notice, the, the woman saw. She's looking at the tree rather than looking at God's word. That the good for food and it's pleasant to the eyes and, and the tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband and he did eat. They trespass God's word. Exactly what's happened. They do the sin. They violate God's word. Now, there's a lot more that you can sort of look at and think about and understand why the devil is doing what he's doing. If you read, you don't have to turn there. If you read Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, the Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? Lucifer, the kingdom that you are ruling over, you have now been cut down and you have fallen from heaven. The devil is there to tempt them because he wants what Adam and Eve now have. What do they have? They have what he used to have. He no longer has it. He's fallen from the place of God that God has exalted him. What did he do? Verse 13 of Isaiah 14, he said in his heart, I'll ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit also in the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, and I will ascend unto the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the most high God. That's what he said he'd be. I'll take God's place. I'll, I can rule this place better than God can. What an idol is. But I'll rule this place better than what God can. That's what he's wanting. And now what's he trying to talk Adam and Eve doing? The same thing. The same thing. You take God's place. You be like him. You, you, you can read scripture after scripture. Ezekiel chapter 28 talks about it. When it talks about the devil himself, that you were the anointed cherub that covered. And I set you so. You was Upon the holy mountain of God, you've walked up and down in the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. Where does sin originate? It originated with the devil. Verse 16, by the multitude of your merchandise, you have filled the midst of you with violence. And you have sinned, therefore I'll cast you as profane out of the mountain of God. I'll destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Lucifer, this cherub that stood out before God. And led worship, some believe, and was in, invested in his being. These musical abilities that he stood before God with. And got so high and lifted up himself that thought he could be like God. And he was going to take God's kingdom away from him and overthrow the kingdom of God. He's still trying to do that today. But that's what he was trying to do then. And God had cast him out, cast him back to the ground. He's no longer in charge. He's no longer ruling. He's no longer over anything. Adam and Eve are. He doesn't try again. Notice this. This is really good. He does not try again to get the kingdom back from God. When you see him in Genesis 3, he's not approaching God and trying to get the kingdom back from God like he tried to before this time when God cast him down. He's not trying that again. Do you know why? It's not because he's not going to fight God. He is, again, we can see that in the last days, at the end of the millennial kingdom, he does. Revelation chapter 20. He does try to fight God one more time. Why is he not fighting God then for the kingdom? Do you know why? God don't have it. He's given it to Adam and Eve. They've got it. That's why he is tempting and fighting them. They're the ones with the kingdom, and the devil wants it back. He wants it back. You could go on and on. A lot more stuff to look at if you look at that that way. But Jesus talked about it. He said, I saw him when he fell from heaven. He saw it. Jesus talked about it. Now then, notice this. What happens is this, is Adam and Eve have made a choice. They have decided. But they have decided based on a lie. They have decided based on Satan's deception. Satan's deception is what they have made their decision based on. Not on the truth. Not on what God has said. But the lie that the devil has told him. Now, I've got a whole 
bunch of stuff that I'll never get to this morning that I may get to in the weeks that are to come. But deception is the most powerful thing the devil has against you and me. There is nothing any more powerful than that. It is his major tool that he has to work against us. And the, the Bible shows it that when Adam and Eve, who had, if you will, other than being saved, had far more than any kind of man had ever had on planet Earth or ever has had. They had it all. Like God, dominion, authority, in his image, they had it all. They could create, uh, procreate when they have children. They could do that. They could run God's kingdom on earth. They had it all. The Bible says in what is, uh, uh, the book of uh, Psalms, 115, verse 14, or 114, verse 15, one of the two. And, and it says there that the earth is in the hands of man. The heavens are for God, but the earth has been given to the hands of man. And, and they had charge. They had authority over all of that. And yet they bought the lie of the devil. What did he use against them? The devil didn't come up to them and say, in all of my great powers are ex-cherub, uh, cherubim before God, I now make you do this. He didn't do that. He can't. If he could, he would have. He couldn't. But he can lie. And he can get Adam and Eve, who's got the authority and the dominion, on his side. And if he does, he can quasi-rule the earth through the dominion that Adam and Eve have. And that's what he is trying to do as of this day. If you notice, they ate, they partake of it. What happened was this. Remember, Adam and Eve have this power within them to create. He told them, go replenish the earth. You know, go, go fill it up again. Go do that. He told them, go multiply. Go multiply um, you know, more than yourselves. Well, I want more than just Adam and Eve around here. I want lots more people around here. And, and go make that happen. And when the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that God breathed into the breath of life, in the Hebrew, both of those words are plural. The breaths with an S on it and life with lives on it. When God breathed into Adam the breaths of lives, one of those was you and me. It's that life that will descend from Adam and Eve throughout all the way down to where you and I are at right now to this day for the 6,000-some-plus years right now to where we are at right now from Adam to us right there. And that life is coming. He's breathing the breath of lives. And so then, when Adam sinned and rebelled against God, as one person said, committed a high treason against God, when he rebelled against the kingdom of God, his rebellion and his sin killed him spiritually and in his soul and separated him from God. And so then, those lives that are in him when they are birthed forth, I've been birthed forth from sin. You have too. We've been birthed into this world as sinners. Birthed in this world. What does the Bible say? The Bible says Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, death came by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Everyone of us. We don't have a leg to stand on. Everybody has sinned. All of us have. And we were born sinners. I was a born sinner. Born in this world, a sinner. Born in this world, separated from God, without the life of God. Born in this world, needing to be born again. And that happened, as it says in Romans 5, 19, by one man's disobedience. Many were made sinners. Oh, I, I don't have a record in the Bible, I mean, there, there's no place after this. You don't find from right there to the rest of the Bible, every time the Bible ever mentions Adam, it always talks about him in a, a negative, sinful way. Always. I don't know if Adam be in heaven or not. I don't know. I hope he repented. I don't know. He gave him 120 years at, in, in Genesis chapter 6 to repent. Whether he did or not, I don't know. I hope he did. But if he didn't, I don't know. But if he did and he's in heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is walk up and kick his bottom. You rascal, you. Do you know what you did? And I'm sure by now he knows. Do you know what you did? Some of us, we could say the same things about daddies in the home. Do you know the way you live, what you're doing? You're setting an example for those little ones that come up. You're setting an example for those in life that you're responsible. Do you understand what your decisions mean in life? Mom, same thing. Eve, Adam, they're both there together. Do you understand the example that you're setting before your children? What to do and what to do in life? 
Adam, my, my, look what happened. Three things happened that day. He began to die physically. The Bible says that when, when the soul and spirit is separated from the body, there is death. The Bible says that in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 26. For is the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so when you leave, your spirit and soul leaves your body, your body will fall down dead, but we'll, you know, you'll still be alive somewhere. Heaven or hell, you'll be alive somewhere. It's your choice. You'll be alive somewhere. Your body will be dead. That's called physical death, death one. Death two is this. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you who he had made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. When you become born again, born in this world in sin, and you become born again, now you're made alive, but what were you? You were dead. And so to be in sin is to be spiritually dead before God. When God was introduced to me, in one way of thinking about it, and I was introduced to him, he was introduced to me as a child of the living God because the blood of Jesus made me the righteousness of God and cleansed me from all of my sin before I gained access to the interest of Almighty God. So I'm introduced to him. I got a good history with God because when he first met me, I was born again by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say hallelujah. Amen. And, and, and so that's spiritual death. Here's the problem. If you remain in spiritual death all the days of your life and you're never born again with the life of God, you remain separated from God. If you do that all of your life and you die that way, physically die that way, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. What is the second death? It's those who are spiritually dead, separated from God, going into eternity at physical death, and then they become eternally separated from God. Worlds without ends forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Never any opportunity, never a chance, no purgatory. Nobody can't pray you out or light candles enough to get you out. It's after that. It's just like that. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the person is righteous, let me be righteous still, and wicked, let me be wicked still. And when you go out of this world the same way, that's how you're going to be for all eternity. That is the second death. And so that's the three kinds of death. Adam and Eve... They died that day spiritually. That, I mean, the moment, the second, they partook of that fruit that God said not to. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. And then, what is it? Other well, death came by sin. What happens? Death has logged into his body. And his body that God made him had done so well, it takes him 930 years to finally kill it off. But it does. And he dies. Others died before that, but Adam lives to be 930 years of age. And he died. He died physically. He died spiritually. I pray to God that he changed his life somehow, some way, some shape, some fashion. I, I don't know. That's it. Let, let me show you. I'm at a place of ending, but let me show you. Three things happened that they lost. Listen to them. First of all, they developed shame. They've developed shame. Look at Genesis 3, verse 7. The eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They are ashamed of who they are. You ever notice that in a little child? Uh, Naomi's age, other little children that you have, for sure. They'll be at a certain age, you know, zero, one, two. And you'll be in the house maybe dressing them or changing them or something. And they stand up. And before you get done, they take off running. They can run out the door. They can run out the front yard. And we're, come back in. What for? Because you are <clears throat> naked out there. I mean, you don't have any clothes on. So? Who cares? But then we teach them about being dressed, and we shame them if they don't. But anyway, we get them, get them dressed. But Adam and Eve are with each other. Now, there ain't nobody around to see Adam but Eve. Ain't nobody around to see, you know, Eve but Adam. And assuming that, I don't know how long they were there, but they were certainly built healthy and, you know. I'm sure beautiful and wonderful and all that kind of thing. So I, I think they may have had some intimate relationships during this time. But now they are ashamed. They are ashamed. They are ashamed a lot of ways like that. Shame between themselves, shame before God. They don't feel good about themselves. And you know what? i got a world of people today that don't feel good about themselves. Somehow they got the idea that they can feel better about themselves if they get something you got and take it and you can give it to them. And they didn't earn it and they, you know, they want it. That's sort of the society that we live in. They don't feel good about themselves. They feel good about themselves. They're going to have to undo something about themselves. I, I read this about five or six days ago. I think it was from the British Isles, whatever that is. You'll have to 
correct me in my geography and that kind of thing. I know we've got England. I know we've got um, Great Britain, the British Isles, and I know we've got whatever we've got, the different Ireland that's there in Scotland and how all that connects. Anyway, but anyway, th- this uh, lady had her face, young lady, and had her face just plastered over this magazine, and uh, it said this about her, that she was running for Miss Whatever, Miss Whatever, and the big thing was she was going with natural beauty and she didn't have any makeup on whatsoever, none, none. She was a lovely, lovely young lady, really was. But had nothing, you could tell she didn't have any makeup, didn't have anything in the world. And she said, I am what I am, I'm going to be what I am, and I have no shame about who I am. I'm just, I just am, I just am, I just am. And you don't see that that very much. We, we sometimes try to make ourselves like someone else. I mean, Sheila and I got married that, that wedding night. It was wonderful until she took off her wooden leg. But anything, you know, God loves us, and he's, he's always with us. I mean, he's real. We love him. And, and, and so people get ashamed. They, they are like that. And then they also get divided. They come in division. Look at verse 7. The eyes of both were open, and, and, and they know that, and they divide themselves. They're wanting to separate themselves. And what do they do? They, they, they sew fig leaves together to try to make aprons for themselves. I want to cover, imagine that. There ain't nobody there but Adam and Eve. I'm going to cover myself so Eve, you won't see me. And Eve says, I'm going to cover myself so Adam, so you won't see me. Ain't nobody else around. And these people are supposed to be, what? One flesh. It's what God made them to be. But what have we done now? They divided themselves. No, 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 no. You over here, I'm over there. They've divided ourselves. People like that today, they can get isolated, get lonely. That's one of the big things about COVID that they try to do. They try to shut us into our houses. They try to lock us up. Don't go here. Don't do that. Don't breathe this. Don't breathe that. Don't get within six feet of somebody. And today, look it up. Look it up on CD, uh, on a CDC website, and they'll tell you that what we said about social distancing didn't work. It wasn't right. Now we say something else. What we said about masks was this and that, and it didn't work. Now we say something else. And what we said about this and that didn't work. So, you know, they were just experimenting on us all this whole time trying to figure out what might would work. Well, they got some things wrong. Got, got, and now, that, now they say that to do. But, but now what happens? It's hard to get people to go back to work now. Why do they want to stay home by themselves? People want to isolate. People want to divide. And if we can't divide by work, we want to divide by our colors. We want to divide by our money, what we, have, what we don't have in money. We want to divide by our, our relatives, by our nations, by our towns. We want to divide by everything. We're in this place of separation. And, and that's what happened to them. It took place that way. And the bottom line to every bit of it, so we understand the world that we're in right now and what the devil did was this. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. That's the biggest thing that happened. Not only were they shameful, not only were they divided from Adam and Eve now, but, but now, not counting all the curse that came on them, but now they're separated from God. And that's what sin does. Isaiah 59, 2, your iniquities, your sins have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. And so we get in this place and we live our lives and we're filled with sin. We, we don't know you out there. You're probably against me too and I'm certainly against you and we're separated. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to be this unless I want to uh, envy something you've got or be jealous of yourself. I'll do that, but I don't want, want you to have anything or you'll be blessed and those kind of things. And, and I'm ashamed. I don't, don't even want to be seen. Somebody else is always better than me, uh, can do something better than me. They're greater than I am, look better, this all kind of stuff, this kind of issues in life and, and all that. God doesn't love me either and I just hope he stays real far away because I I'm really, really, really far from God. And I don't want to be around anything that thinks about God. I don't, want, I don't know nothing about the Bible. I don't know anything about churches. Uh, you know, I just, just wish they all just lock themselves up. If they got to do this thing on Sunday morning anymore, if they got to do that, let them do it on their own. Don't bring it out into the community. Don't bring it into our schools. Don't bring it into our government. We've got separation of church and state, they say. They've got all these separation things and not in the public schools. and not anywhere. You know, just, just be separated from God. And that's the world that we live in right now. That's what's going on on planet Earth. And it's a result of that great deception that took place in the Garden of Eden. Listen to this. People are alienated. In other words, now they are an alienation. They are against. They are out of rather than having relationship with one another. It's strange. It's strange that the people in Chicago and New York and Washington, D.C. told the people in Texas, you know, we're sanctuary cities. You should take all the people down there in Florida and be kind to these people that come in by the millions. When they get just a couple thousand, they change their tune. I mean, I mean it, it, it's amazing. It's amazing 
and they alienate themselves from other people's problems and other people's circumstances, situation. Fear replaces courage. Oh, 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 scared to death. Oh, Lord, that's what they say, scared to death. Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that won't happen. I'm afraid it won't work like that. So they'll say, fear, not courage. Not, let's get up and go do it. Let's make it happen. I know it might be difficult, it might be tough. Nobody said it's not. But, hey, I believe we can do it. Where's that courage at? But that fear runs and it hides. Disease replaces health physical body and all the maladies that it can have in this life, the health that Adam and Eve had now being replaced by disease. Turmoil replaces peace. What do people do when they want peace? They, they go out and, and they set buildings on fire and riot and scream for peace and scream for love and scream for, jo scream for joy. Turmoil replaces peace. Deficiency replaces abundance. Rather than having more than enough, we live in a world that says, I don't have enough. And if you do, we want what you have. And you give us your more than enough. And we want that. Well, I'm all for giving of our abundance. But I'm against the government telling me what that gives. Somebody say, amen, if you believe it. Shame replaces dignity. Division replaces unity. Adam and Eve are one flesh. Now they're two. And God's third somewhere else out there. He's gone. Separation replaces equality. People feel equal before God, but not any longer. No, I'm better than you. I am. I'm better than you. We know more than you know. We will tell you how to live your lives and what you should do because we know much more than you. I mean, that's the kind of world that we're living in right now. Where did it come from? It came from sin. It came from that great deception of people believing the lie. Now then, I'm going to move on to something else next Sunday. But not too many Sundays from now, I'm going to come into a place. Because like it or not, all of us, me included, may have some kind of deceptions in our life right now. That we're believing and making decisions on. It may not be this decision that Jesus is our Lord and the devil's the devil and he's a bad devil. God's a good God. It might not be that. But it might be other things in your life. When you tell yourself how to live your life from day to day and how to live it around other people, around family and in your home and this world. All of us have been fed the lie of the devil in this world that we live in. The big question is how much of it have we discerned that was a lie of the devil and thereby casting it out of our life. Because this thing is more powerful. Listen real carefully. The devil, we're, we're, we're told in Revelation chapter 12, or is it 11, 12, that we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, and they love not their lives and the dead. The Bible tells us in that same chapter of Revelation that the devil comes down to deceive the nations. And when he's cast down, heaven shouts that he's down there to deceive them no more. The Bible tells us, causing that great deceiver, in the book of Revelation chapter 20, when the devil is cast into the bottomless pit for the next 1,000 years, it tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that he's there and he can deceive the nations no more. Then at the end of the 1,000-year reign, the Bible also tells us that the devil got out and after 1,000 years of being locked up, the first thing he wants to do when he gets out, he goes out, the Bible says explicitly, to deceive the nations. The devil's greatest weapon against you and against me and this world we live in is deception. And for us to get a clear, solid, ironclad understanding and belief in the truth of God is the only way to get out of all of his deceptions. And if not, deception in this area, it might not keep you out of heaven, so to speak, but it might keep you in a place where you feel like that you're, you're just never going to be loved or liked and you feel bad about yourself your whole life's journey because you think somebody hates you. They don't even hate you. They don't hate you at all. Has, had one person asked me point blank one time, why do I hate them? I said, I don't hate you. I don't even know who you are. They said, yeah, oh, that's right, isn't it? And the light popped on in right. I guess you don't hate me. No, uh-uh. I said, tell me a little bit about yourself. I might can learn to hate you, but I don't right now. No, and I wouldn't hate them anyway. I wouldn't hate them anyway. 
But we live under that cloud of deception in this earth, and we have to cast it off with the truth of God. And the Bible says that you'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will make you free. Every single one of us will be free. Don't let the devil deceive you. Let's stand on our feet this morning and go before the Lord in prayer in Jesus' name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many loves the Lord? Say amen. Amen. Father God, lift your hands toward heaven and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord God. You are the truth. You are the only place that I can find truth. I find it in you, almighty God. It is filled in the word of God, the truth you have spoken. I'll act on the truth, believe the truth, walk in the truth, have the truth, live the truth, and be free from the lies of the devil and his deceptions. In the name of Jesus, shout hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this faith-filled message. Please connect with us at our website, gospeltabernaclechurch.com, so we can continue to be a part of your faith walk. And if you're listening today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, now is the time to do that. Now, today, is the day of salvation. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, I believe you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins on the cross. And you have raised him from the dead that I might be alive in him. Jesus, I confess you are Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome. You're now in the family of God. You're a child of God. Connect with us. Let us know if you prayed that prayer. We want to be right there alongside you as you walk out this journey of faith in Christ. God bless you.